You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 336. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of the YouTube science fiction series Impulse. But more importantly, we get over the sadness of Saturday night. Dude, I, I, I just can't believe that yeah. they came out and laid an egg yeah. Yeah. in the biggest game of the season. I know. I know this is this is two years in a row that the the Ravens just completely dropped the big turd in in the playoffs, but uh, it was it was especially painful this year, you know, uh, after the year they yeah. had to to just completely fall apart uh, in the yeah. in the playoffs, like yeah, every phase of the game, yeah, and, and you know it's it's like you said. I mean, last year was disappointing, but. You know, Lamar was a rookie, took over midseason. They weren't a great team. They were a good team this year. I think we all thought they were a great team. And Yeah. And they, you know what? You know, it's funny because in the beginning of the year, they weren't. And no one thought, and I'm not saying that they aren't. I'm just saying that, you know, that in the beginning of the year, especially when they were two and two, most people were like, thinking, okay, maybe they'll go 500, maybe a little bit more. I, I, we might make the playoffs, but you know, and then they just went on this unbelievable run of they reeled off twelve games in a row, beating like, you know, not just beating crappy teams. They beat some of the best, almost all of the teams are in the playoffs. They beat Seattle. They beat San Francisco. They beat can't not Kansas City, less Kansas City. They beat Texas. Beat the Bills. You know, so like they. Uh, it's just it is beyond belief all right well guys sorry for our little yeah uh, we're just we're still processing this it really this hurts yeah Yeah, this is you know just really therapy for us but (laughs) uh i know you guys don't really want to hear that so uh let's go ahead and jump into the what we're watching segment and you know i i found another international drama now it's not genre but you know very loosely, tangentially, you could maybe make a case for it, but it's a Polish crime drama called Ultraviolet. And there are two seasons, 10 episodes in each season, and it's about a group of people that work together to use the internet and social media to solve cases the police either can't or won't solve. And, you know, it's a disparate group. It's almost you get the feeling most of them have never met in person, which then takes me back to that uh, series, the guild, uh, you know, where yeah. they're the gamers oh, yeah. and, and uh, <laughs> they finally meet. Right. But uh, it really is good. The central character is this young woman. She's probably about 30 has moved back with mom. And she's getting a divorce and, you know, she just stumbles upon this group and the group is called ultraviolet and she wants to investigate her brother's death, which has been a cold case, but you know, she gets in with this group and you know, it's, it's, it's really good. It really is good. It's the second Polish show that my wife and I have watched. We watched an alternate history last year. I, I probably mentioned it on the podcast called 1983, where one of the premises is that the Iron Curtain never fell. Hmm. So um, anyway, Ultraviolet, pretty cool show. Awesome. It does sound cool. 
Um, my what I am watching now. I mentioned it briefly last week, but didn't talk about. It. I'm going to talk about it today. Uh, I have been on a big kick of the Americans. I didn't talk about it, did I? You did talk about it, and for, you know, and of course, Fred mentions it in his feedback tonight. So, uh, all right, hold on, let me think of something uh, else. Well, you didn't you didn't talk about it in detail because you talked about Doctor Who, right? Right? In, right? In I just detail. I just mentioned it, right? Yeah. Okay, you're going to have to edit out all the words I just said. <laughs> so, um, the Americans is I am I, I think I'm, I might have mentioned last week how I'm on season. What am I on now? Season three, season four, season four, I think. Maybe season three. I think it's season three. I don't know. It's been a while, but uh, you know, it's uh, and it's not a spoiler because you know this. I, I knew the premise going in, and you learn this very quickly that these uh, this young couple who appear to be, like I said last week, believe it, you know, to all intents and purposes, a regular American couple, but they're actually super like top agent KGB spies in America. You know they have to do, all, you know all kind. Of, for the one thing that I think is really cool, and again, um, you know it's it's weird because you're actually kind of like rooting for the Soviets here. You know, you know because they can they they can do any like they they can break into things, they can bug phones, they can beat up people way bigger than them and everything. It's just like they can pretty much do everything. You know, so they're pretty super cool, capable people. But the the really the heart of it is the relationship between these two people who um, were thrown together when they were young and they just really didn't even know each other and they've had to build a life. They have two kids together. Uh, they've been living together and married for like twenty years, you know. And, and also part of their job is they have to have sex with other people a lot. And, and in fact, uh, the 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 dude um, ends up marrying someone else but, you know again it's, it's he he has to he's you know he's running a an asset um so sorry that's probably a bit of a spoiler but i won't say who or anything like that but um but it's just crazy and it's super intense because you know their lives are always the, like the, there's um noah emmerich who, um, if you remember he played uh i think his name was marlin in the truman show um he's an fbi agent who lives right across the street from him so they got the fbi this guy is trying to fine they call them the uh the illegals no emmerich is trying to find them and he's living right across the street from them so it's just like every episode is like super white knuckle intense the the you know the whole thing would fall flat on its face as being kind of silly because a lot of it if you step back think well that's kind of silly i think but um the uh the two people matthew reese and carrie russell who are the the uh, the two main characters? Um, they're just so good, and, and you 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 know root for them despite, like I said, the fact that they are you know patently you know members of a foreign intelligence service trying to do harm to the United States. But uh, you know, like I said, they you just you really pull for them, and I don't know it's a, it's no, it's a great. I show. really I really like Carrie Russell. I mean, is this on Netflix right now? It is on Amazon Prime. Sorry, Dave. Oh, okay. Alas. No, nah, that's okay. Well, it could be on Netflix. I don't know. I don't think I'll it is. Check. But yeah, check. No. Oh, well. Or you can just so. get you know, get Amazon Prime. I know. You could do that. So. I could. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to Impulse, episode seven of season one, titled He Said, She Said, 
written by Tori Spear, who was the executive story editor for Vita Moore, State of Mind and Treading Water of Impulse. I'm not exactly sure what a story editor actually does. Uh, uh, whatever they does, worked, they should have been doing it on In Memoriam. Yes. <laughs> also worked on Bates Motel. Uh, directed by Maggie Kylie, who has directed episodes of American Horror Story, Riverdale, and Night Flyers. I don't know if you ever saw Night Flyers. Uh, no, I wanted uh, to. I just completely missed it. Yeah, that. trust me. No, Wasn't that no. good? Okay. You're, you're, you're fine. All right. Just very derivative, uh, you know, really? solid that was, show. That just... was the Ronald D. Moore thing, wasn't it? No, I don't think so. Oh. I thought, you sure? No, I don't. No, I'm not sure, but okay. I don't think so. But anyway, all right. So, you know, right oh, off no, the bat, no, no, no. George R.R. R. Martin was involved with that, right? Yes, That's you're right. It. You're right. Based on an early novella oh, okay. or something gotcha, like that. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, anyway, I love the structure and a show that I watched and, and again, probably mentioned at some point in the podcast called The Affair. They would routinely do this where the first half of the episode, it would be Noah's story. And then the second half, we'd see the same events from Allison's point of view. And, and they do that tonight. And we start with Clay's version, with, which takes up the first 18 minutes of the episode. And, you know, we saw the uh, genesis of this last week where he's going over Henry's account of what happened and a rock comes through his window. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, again, first time around – it didn't occur to me that it was probably Henry that threw it. Now, I don't know who would have thrown it. I mean, Clay's popular in school and probably even more popular now that he's in a wheelchair. But uh, well, I, I, nonetheless. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I thought at right at first that it was picking up basically right where we left off last week. Yeah. Did you pick? Right, right. No, no, no. I didn't. I don't necessarily mean picking up right where we left off. But last week's episode, he was thinking about right. what Henry had said and, and and thinking about how things went down, as opposed to how they actually went down. Right. And and Lucas comes in and confronts him after overhearing Henry, and I mean that's one of the things that that we really see in this episode is that Lucas is really starting to question Henry's involvement in all of this, but not from the way you might think. Exactly. I mean, yes, he thinks Henry had something to do with the accident, but he also believes her story that his brother assaulted her. Right. Or so he says, at least. Well, uh, you know, I, I believe him. I believed him at the time. And, sure. and you know, as Fred mentioned. I, I did too, but I always leave open detail. the possibility, you know. Right. So, uh, so we do have that, you know, laid out for us in this episode. Detective Halche comes to the house. She's in uniform responding to a report of a rock thrower. You know, she's her usual pushy self. And I love Clay just tells her, just get the hell out of my house. Go away. No, you're not coming into my house. Yeah. Well, you knew she was going to try. You know, hey, how about I just take a look around? You know, like, oh, you were just so shameless officer well right even (laughs) though she knows she's not supposed to be doing this so not only is she doing it in uniform it's almost like she's determined to self-destruct her career to solve this case which you know we understand 
that something happened to her when she was a police officer in the city and that, you know, we don't know all the details yet, but we understand a connection there. What's the, what's the connection here? Yes. She was the first officer on the scene. She found the body, but outside of that, is it worth your career in this police jurisdiction to, you know, get in the, get in the middle of, you know, what you can probably already see is some sort of a turf war. It just doesn't seem very smart. I mean, you talked last week about some of the things that some of the characters did and said, and rightly so, pretty dumb stuff. And, and I guess that's the way I see her. But Well, it, 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 to, to, up to a point, and then she, she finally catches on that she's got a perfect mole here in Henry. And so, you know, she starts going that still illegal though still collecting inadmissible evidence but getting closer i guess to figuring out what's going on well yeah we'll talk more about that in in henry's story so to speak it makes me wonder at this point whether clay knows what his father does obviously we know lucas knows sure because he's involved in the family well, business killed How- Amos. Oh, well, right, right, right. But we also know that, that you know, he, he's privy to the drugs being smuggled in in the cars. Right. I, I, you get the feeling that Clay really doesn't know that because he is on this college scholarship track, that dad's perhaps trying to shelter him from that and let him, you know, j- just go on as if, you know, none, none of that you know, applies to him. Right. But the the outcome of all this is that he decides to send out a group text that there's going to be a party at his house and and then we cut to the party you mentioned last week and, and fred brings it up in the feedback about the teenage sex we we see and I, i'm not sure how i feel about the glorification kind of yeah. of all this teenage drinking no, I, I agree with you on that one too yeah and you know lucas uh, of course comes in it's like you said you were having a small party Uh, again you know once dad comes in i can't is it the next day i think it's It's even the next the next day day because they're cleaning up it's just it's just lucas and he right and he actually as it turns out because i think he tells henry he was glad that clay had the party because he needed that and i think he tells clay that do you have a hangover Yes. Well, let the punishment fit the crime then. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard to get a read on Clay. I mean, on Bill in terms of his parenting skills, such as they are, which are yeah. not all that impressive. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, the fact that the, I mean, the whole time that they're having this rager at his house and kids are doing shots and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm just like thinking like, is is your dad not here? Where the hell is your dad? You know that 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 this can happen, and you know, I mean, obviously that does happen, and you know, like everyone probably has during their high school careers been to at least one, you know, house party where you know the parents are gone, and just it's crazy. But but yeah, like to it, it really does. It doesn't present it as like as in any negative way. It's, it's all you know it's all a positive thing that the, the way they present it. So that's maybe a little bit uh, concerning just as I said, right, but, 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 but the interesting thing that comes out of it, I mean, what do you think about 
the scene between Patty, the cheerleader, and Clay when he asks her about whether or not he was a good boyfriend. Yeah, well, that that's really interesting. And, you know, it. so I, last week I was just so, like, the way they're presenting Clay, like, I, obviously, I'm not going to go back on, on my comments, but I was just really didn't like how it was. That that it's just kind of inconsistent. I guess maybe this week I'm I'm becoming a little bit more used to this idea of Clay being this kind of ambiguous character. I guess you know, like on the one hand he did a really really bad thing, but on the other hand you see, like he he says to Lucas, "I I didn't do that. That's not me. I'm not like that." Okay, well probably every person who ever has you know assaulted a, a girl or anything is probably thought the same thing you know, because no one believes that they're bad right everyone everyone thinks that i'm in at heart i'm a good person right i i imagine hitler probably even thought you know what i'm actually a pretty good guy um you know and everything but that doesn't change what he did so he did something terrible but yet you know like every like the last couple of weeks we're just presented with this kind of this kid who's who's not that who doesn't seem like he is this monster that they made him out really honestly at first he's a monster and now he's a complete they're they're trying to make him out to be the complete opposite so i'm still i guess a little bothered by the whole that the whole tone you know or that whole way they're dealing with his character um because you see here he just he wants affirmation he's like he's he's even doubting his own mind right he's like so that he goes to the cheerleader is like you know, I never did anything like that to you, right? Like, he's just trying to be sure, like, because he, he has no memory of it. He doesn't recall doing it. He doesn't think it was something he would ever do. So now he's just kind of looking for a lifeline for someone to tell him. And you can see after, like, he seems really relieved after the girl says, nah, I, you know, I never did anything with you that I didn't want to do, right? So he seems really relieved to have his version of himself affirmed, right? Right. But I guess for me, that's what makes it worse because, A, I, I think we pretty much know that Patty had sex with Clay on multiple occasions. But was there ever a point in their relationship where she said no? Yeah, probably where she wasn't in the mood. But since they'd probably already had sex and I think she was on his level in the school in terms of the hierarchy of importance if right. you will you know he's the big athlete she's the cheerleader does he think henry doesn't deserve the respect that he would give patty or any of mm. the other girls i mean yeah that's that's a good I, I, that's a good point know that but i, I, I right just right because he's like that. slumming it with the uh the weird girl from who's new yeah like so he wouldn't have that's that's an excellent point dave actually i really thought of it yeah he that he would he wouldn't treat henry the same way he treat patty right now you know we get that scene and it of course turns out to be a dream when you know clay gets the text and it's like 4 a.m or 4 p.m i guess we don't really know but it's from henry you know what you did thinking like Okay, uh, that's pretty aggressive. Not that he doesn't deserve it. And then the wheelchair starts imploding, and then he wakes up, and it's a bad dream. But right, well, even the ceiling starts to crack too. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting that he would incorporate what actually happened in the truck to what's happening 
in his life now, which of course tells us he's starting to remember, right? You know, sort of bits and pieces about the accident. So will he continue to remember? But as we keep saying, even if he remembers, who's going to believe him? Right. So yeah. Well, exactly. And, and Henry is you know close to. Yeah, you know, she she comes like close like that actually confessing because again, who's going to believe her? But it's 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 in the open with with Clay and with Lucas both that that she did it that she did to him what 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 caused him to be uh, paralyzed, right? And, and I mean, Lucas takes him to the dealership to show him the car next to the truck, and obviously the difference here is Lucas doesn't have any memory blanks he remembers everything sure. so for him this is a lot more real than it is for clay still it's unexplainable right and you know we're trying to think in lucas's mind what are the things he's thinking of as possibilities because the one thing he's not considering is that it was jeremiah's guys you know beating beating clay up right. I, I think he's past the point of believing that well and, and i think that's why he wants to know from henry if if she actually did it because then he realizes that he killed amos for for nothing right you know and and it seems like he did that on his own like it doesn't seem like it seems more and more each week like that Bill did not order him to do this, that, that Lucas went out and did this on his own. And so we'd say, well, so now he's, you know, he's, he's worried about his own ass, but really, you know, what we see from Lucas and the kid who, you know, prays at dinner and stuff like that is we see, you know, a, a, a young man who's actually really struggling with his conscience. And, you know, now that he knows that Amos, didn't, was not responsible and that he killed Amos for no reason at all. You know, it, it seems like he now, I mean, I think we'd mentioned before is seeming to be someone who's kind of like just basically treading water as far as like his, his own conscience. And it seems like he's starting to drown a little bit. Yeah. And, and Henry's secret seems to be getting closer to being revealed. But the other thing that comes out of this conversation is that clay tells lucas that he believes henry's story about the accident and then lucas turns around and tells clay that he believes henry was telling the truth about the sexual assault so (laughs) where are we with the brothers and then the next thing we know we see nikolai posing as an insurance adjuster who wants to question clay about the accident and and again just like with hulche Clay's in no mood to answer questions about the accident, and and you can't blame him. Uh, he's not worried about whether his father gets reimbursed for the truck, even though, of course, that's not what Nikolai is really there for. Right. But but his questions clearly imply that he thinks Clay might be the teleporter. Right. Until he starts getting into the lost time questions. And then he says, well, was anybody with you in the truck? And we're like, oh, crap. He's going to give up Henry, but no, he gets pissed. And, and, and again, it's like, no, but he's, he's a kid. He's a teenager. And, 
They don't narc on each other for anything. I know that, but it, it's he's putting the pieces together that Henry did something to me, but you know, I I don't quite know what and. You know, then we get that whole thing with Cleo inviting the Boons for dinner, and at the end of Clay's story, <laughs> that's how it ends: that the Boons arrive right. uh, at uh, Thomas. Well, and, and you know, before that, he gets, and uh, you know what? I really, really, really hate shows that have people getting text messages, and it shows you the text, and you're supposed to read what it says, because like I don't sit two feet from my TV. And when they show this, I can never read it. I'm always like, oh, come on. But, you know, he gets a text from Henry basically saying, I'm sorry, I want you to come over for dinner. And we're just like, like, what? You well, know? Well, you know, I think this is coming on the heels of the rock throwing incident and her mom being upset that it might, you know, jeopardize her new job at the dealership. Well, we haven't seen any of that yet, though. Well, because we haven't seen, we've just seen Clay's side, right? Well, well, so right. It's just like she throws the rock, and then later on, <clears throat> at the end of his story, he gets a text message from her saying, "I'm sorry, I want you to come over for dinner." And and you know, and that's what I actually like about. I thought it was really good how they did that because we're like, wait, WTF? Like, what what is Henry doing here? We have no idea. We know that's really weird that she would send that text message, but we don't know why she would have did it. And then we get the answer in her side of the story. Well, yeah, but I think he texts her first that he doesn't have to come, right? Right. And then she texts him back and that it's fine. Go ahead and come. So what I'm saying is- She says, I'm sorry as well. Yeah, but I, I guess my point is, I wonder if she's doing that for her mother. You know, I mean, Jenna tells her later, no, 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 screw no, no. that. She's, she's, you don't she's have doing to. for Anna. Okay. Oh, oh, good point. God, I forgot all about that. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's, it's not her mom at all. She's, she's totally doing it for Anna so she can uh, record them. Somewhere. Oh man. I was trying to give the girl points and you took them away. <laughs> Try to do that next well, week as a basketball coach, you know, and not give up yeah, so many right. points. Try not to right. give up six points next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into Henry's story, which takes up the next 20 minutes of the episode. As you said, we see her standing outside the Boone house, and she looks like she's having a panic attack at first, which is understandable, standing outside of Clay Boone's house. The next thing you know, she just picks up a rock and chucks it, and of course, the neighbor walking the dog sees her, calls the cops, and... uh well, he says, first of all, stay right there. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's going to no. happen. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, said the nosy neighbor to the uh, teenage delinquent. Yeah, that's going right. to happen. But, you know, Halche before has tried to make a connection with Henry, even before really digging deeper into the case of Bill Boone and now uh, the death of of Amos Miller and she's still trying to get some kind of a connection with her, I guess, you know, as the cool police officer. Like, <laughs> she tells her, are you going to take me home or arrest me? <laughs> Which I thought was the greatest line in the episode. That, that was good. Are those my two options? But yeah. the next thing you know, Henry just opens the folder. She sees Amos Miller's dead body in the crime scene photo and and clearly she gets upset walks out 
And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out this girl knows something about that dead guy. Right. And of course she does. And I, I think this is one of the cases where Halche does approach it from the right standpoint because Henry tells her, I can't, she's, she's stammering. If you know about Bill, can't you just do something? Henry says, clearly she's scared of Bill and she just says, look, here's my personal number. Don't call me at the station and leaves it at that. And I think that was the wise approach. So, uh, you know, and she's, I think, told Henry this before that, well, listen, I'll just take you home. I won't tell your mom. And, and she does that here. Won't tell Cleo about the rock incident. And of course, mom, ever vigilant. Why did Anna drop you off in a squad car? Right. And Henry tells her the truth. And we're like, okay, well, that's different. Of course, she embellishes a little bit about why she did it. Sure. And, and mom says, well, you need to be punished. Go to your room and stay there. And of course, Henry's contrite and, and we know why, but it's just so funny because very often she still doesn't have control over whether she stays in her room or not. So, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Um, <clears throat> but also it's, it's, it's funny because um, Henry, instead of being like angry and oppositional here, she's like, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I deserve to be punished. Uh, you should send me to my room, basically. Yeah. yeah. There's no screaming, which is completely different than her, you know, kind of her previous interactions with her mom in, in what could potentially be a, a, you know, a moment of conflict here. So if, if I were, you know, Cleo, I'd be like, all right, w- wait a second. <laughs> you know, like, hold on. Like, you're, you're not arguing with me. You're not cussing me out something is really wrong you know yeah and and, you know speaking of really wrong i I really love the scene when jenna comes in henry's room and it it turns out that she wants to talk but her first reaction is whether henry's okay then starts talking about having sex with zach and you know at first henry seems kind of reluctant well do you want to talk about it please say no please say no but uh (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, Henry makes that physical move to sit up and actually seem interested, which is unusual for Henry to be interested in other people's problems, you know? Sure. Well, I, I think this this episode, of course, maybe next episode we get a different writer and they just completely tear up. But certainly in this episode, we really see Henry, which we, we've seen her taking these sets. We saw it last episode with Towns that taking those steps towards empathy and not just thinking about herself all the time. And she really, you know, just as she did with Towns before, she she kind of comes through for Jenna here. I mean, as I think we can confirm that Jenna is at best very confused about her sexuality. You know, she she tells her that she just had sex, but she's she's not sure what to think about. You know, she's not sure whether she liked it and everything. And then she says, I think there's something wrong with me. And that's when Henry kind of steps in. It's like, no, nah, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, it's just encouraging her to to trust herself, I guess, which right now Jenna's not doing because she's caught between this, how she feels and, and how she thinks everyone else 
tells her, everyone else thinks that she should feel. Right. Henry tells her there are no rules and it's a nice role reversal for, for the two, uh, you know, we want to call them sisters. They're, they're actually not sisters. Maybe someday they will be stepsisters, but Fred brings up in his feedback about whether or not Jenna is going to tell Henry about her interest in girls. And we're, we're almost to that point tonight, but not quite. She's, she's still yeah. unsure of herself. And while I think, I think she, she's close. So I think she is close. And I think she feels she can trust Henry enough sure. to tell her, I mean, my God, look at the secret she's keeping about Henry. Right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, so there is that, but I, I do think that is a good question that Fred has and, you know, uh, he, he has another question we'll, we'll hold off until later that, that's kind of related to Jenna as well. And, and then the next morning, Henry comes down, finds Thomas making breakfast. And again, not that she's ever mean to Thomas. Uh, you know, she's generally brusque to everybody. But she brings up the time he told her to stay away from Bill Boone and asks if he thinks Bill is dangerous. It gets Thomas's attention, and that's when he brings up the idea that Bill Boone paid his wife's medical bills when she was sick and feels Bill's going to hold it over his head. And Fred brings that up in his feedback. And I don't know that I really have an answer. I mean, you know, why does Bill pay that? Is it just an investment that someday... I mean, he runs the can, bowling alley. Can I field this one? As yeah. a as a loyal watcher of Martin Scorsese's movies, uh, this is actually in Goodfellas, where they said like kind of like the... Um, I actually read the book, too. It's like part of the, the, um, the way that the mob works is they... You know they they you, they get you in their pocket like they call it right they do a favor for you and then so now you're indebted to them okay right so that's like kind of what Bill Bill does favors now his people indebted to him and at some point he's going to come up and ask them to do something that they wouldn't normally want to do um, and they're going to have to do it okay so I Thomas think- I think is kind of dreading that that day that Bill's going to come knocking and say. Here's what I got. Here's what you got to do for me. Okay. So I guess then the answer does he realize how bad Bill really is? I mean, does he have some sort of an inkling that Bill's involved with the drug business? I find that hard to believe. You know, I I I, I yeah. feel like Bill's probably a lot more careful than that. Yeah, and you know, and Bill even refers to it here a little bit because he was talking about like like the, how they got in a fight and he said, Oh, I know how that could happen, especially when alcohol is involved, you know, and everything. Um, so we get this idea that, that bill, we haven't necessarily really seen it so much, but that he is, can be a very threatening individual and that he has this past, uh, where he was drinking, um, where apparently he was even worse. So, you know, and again, uh, Thomas, I can't remember if we've conferred. Did Thomas grow up here? Or not I don't. I don't know if they've known each other like since they were you know young. Probably there were. If if that's true, there's probably some experiences he had with Bill uh, when they were younger that would convince him that Bill is a very imposing, threatening, you know, intimidating person. Right now, you know, you had mentioned Henry recording the conversation for 
Anna Halchik, but at this point, we don't really know that. And she goes to apologize for throwing the rock and you know, he's being really nice to her. He doesn't seem to suspect anything. She brings up the fact that she read about the Mennonite that OD'd and that she recognizes him, says she really cares about Clay, relieved seeing the article, and he cuts the conversation short. Do you think he senses where she's headed here? Um, yeah, I don't. That, I was yeah, I was wondering that myself because I, I was like, well, I mean, I obviously I, I get why he you know he doesn't want to go there, he doesn't even want to talk about it, you know because it's something. But then, then again, if he didn't, if Lucas did this on his own, he didn't order it. Why would he have any? Why would he need to feel awkward about talking about it? You know. Yeah. If if he didn't really if, have right, if to do with is it. right exactly. So, um, you know, again, like just from the way Lucas is behaving, I'm tending. I you know, my my gut is that that Lucas did this on his own as just realizing something that need to be done. Now it could be something along the lines of we'll no one rid me of this meddlesome priest right that um you know that uh you know like bill was just like wow if only could someone could go take care of this for me but we don't know you know so but uh certainly his cutting her off there maybe that goes a little bit towards showing that maybe bill is complicit in this somehow yeah and then of course we get the great scene when henry walks out of the meeting sits next to uh, Nikolai and, and of course neither knows the significance of the other. And, and but Henry really doesn't know. Well, right. Nikolai at least has the, the knowledge that he's there to try and find the, the teleporter. Well, good point to, right. to Henry. She has zero clue at all. Right. And then the next thing we know, she's sitting in Halche's squad car, recorded her conversation with Bill. You shouldn't have done that. Here, let me have the tape. And yeah. and of course, as Anna says, there's not a whole lot I can do with this. And, and Henry's 16. Well, what do you mean? I, I've got it on tape here. And of course, as adults, we understand that, well, you know, there's not really anything truly incriminating he said. But then, as you pointed out uh, a bit ago in the discussion, she tells Halche that the Boons are coming for dinner, which then, of course, means their house will be empty. And then, uh, then we go to which Henry's- again, like so. I mean, we see the, the Boons neighborhood. They got the guy walking the dog at night, saying, "Hey, stay right there," you know. Like so, really, when she's going around with a flashlight, like no one's going to call that one in, right? Right. So. You know, right? And then I don't. I don't live in a neighborhood half that nice. But I guarantee you, if something like that was going on, that my neighbors would call the cops. Right. Well, you know, and then Jenna, when she finds out what's going on here, says, "Just leave this to me. I'll I'll put an end to this dinner." Henry says, "Well, I can handle it." And Jenna says, "Well, you shouldn't have to," and wonders whether Henry's trying to punish herself, which of course she is. Because she's conflicted. She knows he deserves what he got. But I think because she is a empathetic character, at least has has become a little bit of one, you know, that, that well, did it go too far? The fact that he's paralyzed 
it, it, does the punishment fit the crime? So yeah. I, I think she's well, conflicted. Last episode, she seemed to think it did. Yeah, I know. And and again, I think that's what is so great about the way they're writing her character because. I mean, it is such a, I think, a normal human reaction. I mean, she's not a sociopath. Um, so, you know, we do have a few in this series, but she's not one of them. Right. And then, and then, uh, you know, we get that, that scene where Henry's staring at Clay from the top of the stairs and like, oh boy. And then the last nine minutes of the episode is, is of course the dinner. Bill yeah. brings wine, even though he's not been a drinker for i think he what's he say 15 years something like that or 13 i believe 13. it was you know it's a normal dinner conversation although right off the bat when everybody's ready to dig in and cleo sees lucas praying for dinner and we're thinking like all right what's that all about yeah you know, you know? well i mean I, I i i didn't find that unusual because we we kind of saw this when he went back to his mom, you know, and we know he is, like we said, he's, he's a young man who's just really, he's, he's kind of looking for something. Um, he's, he's right now, he's a very lost, right? I guess we'd say he's a lost boy, but it was just so awkward. Like Cleo's like, Oh, Lucas, you pray and pray. And Lucas like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's like, hold on. Are we at a point in this country now where you have to apologize for praying? Like, come on. Yeah, apparently we are. And, and and I like her reaction that yeah, I think that's good. We all should do it. And and I, I think she is the one that makes the first move to, you know, to, to grab the hands of the people next to her. <laughs> Clay asked Jenna to pass him a roll. Yeah, that <laughs> reminded, was classic. It reminded me of dinners we used to have with my cousins. Uh, <laughs> or all, you know, so it's like four boys. And it's like, pass me the mashed potatoes. And, and of course, the adults are eating in the adult room, and they put us out in the family room. It's like somebody grabs some mashed potatoes and throws it. Next thing you know, uh, we're all in trouble, it's sent to our rooms. <laughs> but uh, Clay's surprised that Henry knows the story of his scar. And then, of course, Bill has to lie about when he told her. And you know whether clay is going to make anything of this connection that that his father apparently has with henry that well maybe not deeply personal i mean it is kind of personal i mean bill well it's yeah it's we it's something yeah, his first thought might be my dad's boning henry yeah well yeah well you know you, yeah yeah, good point. I didn't think about it in that, those terms, but uh, <laughs> now, you know, you mentioned the flashlight. So Halche's inside the Boone house searching for the Bible. And the next thing we know, and she knows, somebody else in the house looking for something as well. And of course, it's Jeremiah. Mennonites in the house. Yep. And of course, they're looking for the Bible as well. Although, I guess for different reasons. You know, Fred brings this up in his feedback as well. The thing about the Bible, why does Jeremiah leave the Bible? Well, I mean, he he doesn't want Bill to know that he knows. Right. Although exactly why. Fred asks, why the hell would you leave the Bible there? <laughs> you know? Well, the, the, I think the big question is why Lucas take the Bible? Just, just stupid. Right. And, yeah. and Fred alludes to that as well. And, and I think, 
he maybe immediately knows he did the wrong thing. I mean, again, Lucas is not a sociopath. He he's made a horrific decision. Yeah. And I think the question is, yes, why did he take it? Why did he keep it? It's almost as if it's a remembrance of what it is he did. You know, that that uh-huh. I'm this terrible person. This is what I did. This is a reminder that I'm a murderer. I'm a killer. Yeah. Yeah. That that could be. I you know, it's I I assume that that is why because again, he's not like a seasoned assassin. You know, it's not a not, trophy. He's not a cold bright. It's not a trophy. Um so you know, probably that's and and his now his kind of spirituality that we're seeing out of him. Yeah, I I think that that's probably a, you know a good explanation. But again, um, uh, Jeremiah, you know, totally leaves it there because he was just there. He wasn't there really to get the Bible back. He was there for confirmation. Yes, right. right. Like, okay, these guys killed my son, um, and if he takes the Bible, then it's possible. The boons will figure out that he knows, but if he leaves it there, then you know they will be safe and secure in the knowledge that in what they think that that Jeremiah doesn't know, um, and that gives him an advantage. Right. And then, what'd you think about the scene then that, that follows that, where Lucas is waiting right outside the bathroom when Henry comes out, you know, and confronts her about what she said about the sexual assault, first of all. Right, right. And then, did you lie about the Millers? You know, and she tells him the truth about what happened at the farm and then runs off, I can't deal with this. So, you know, this whole truth-telling aspect that's taken place here, especially between these two, between Lucas and Henry, I'm not sure what either of them can do about it the fact that they know the truth about certain things it's out there. And I think the relationship that that's developing between these two, and I don't mean a relationship, a romantic relationship. I just a working relationship. If I guess, if you want to look at it that way, but uh-huh. it's, it's certainly going somewhere, probably not good. Well, I, I, I think we, we could say it in just that pretty quickly, everything in Henry's life is going to be not good. It's only a matter of time before Nikolai figures it out. Right. You know? Right. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't the boys' bathroom at the high school that imploded, you know? So he, he's going to, he's going to, like I said, he's, he's going to figure out sooner rather than later. And when he does, then Henry's world is going to undergo some significant changes. And I think, like, I believe I said before, like all this stuff, uh, right now she's going through is going to be pretty small potatoes based on what is n- now literally sitting next to her on the bench. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No question. And uh, what's happening in Bill's house is just, again, kind of the tip of the iceberg because Halche overhears everything. A- again, we don't know necessarily what it actually tells her, but I think it certainly tells her that Bill Boone is somehow involved in Amos Miller's murder and that amos miller's father jeremiah is perhaps setting bill up for something we don't know exactly what but it leads us into the final scene 
after Clay cuts his hand at, at dinner, they're all ready to leave. This evening can be over. And Henry insists on bandaging his wound and wheels him into the kitchen. And we get that scene where he says, I don't understand your attitude. I wouldn't mind an apology for you accusing me. (laughs) And, And I'm thinking back to the three stooges. And I know some of our listeners probably don't even know who the three stooges are, but it's like, I think it's usually Mo. It's like, what? slowly i turn it's like what the hell did you just say yeah right and she starts freaking out runs to her bedroom mom follows henry tells her what happened in the truck she has a seizure and passes out in her mother's arm and and that's how we end the episode yeah that's very intense i guess on the one hand i was almost waiting for her to teleport (laughs) somewhere Right. Yeah, I totally thought that that was going to happen. But perhaps because she's in her mother's arms and she feels safe, the fear aspect is not there. Yeah, that's the only thing I can figure. So, right. um, Anything else you want to bring up before we listen to Fred? Yeah. Bill said that Michael Jordan sucks. (laughs) Like, are you what? Like, if you. what? <laughs> like I just like Yeah, okay. Like, you, first you, of all, he's there he's arguing they're they're arguing bird magic, right? He's he's the one saying Larry Bird is like the best ever, right? And, which you know, again, Larry Bird kind of white people's favorite basketball player, but I mean Michael Jordan. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't just, think there's any question. The word the word sucks, Jeff does not apply at all i was just like what are you and and this is the guy who's not drinking saying that right so yeah and i think it just it really i think gives us that flavor for these are two men in an uncomfortable situation trying to make the best of an evening that neither of them wanted to participate in yes what's our common ground we can argue about basketball and right, right. okay, that's what guys do, I guess. Yeah. But so. <laughs> well, it's great when uh, you know, Cleo looks at Thomas, like, I think you've had enough. He just kind of like waves her off, like, ah, I'm fine. <laughs> so, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Um, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, hear what Fred has to say this week, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Impulse, Season 1, Episode 7. First off, as usual, I want to come back to last week's podcast. What I have been watching is I actually started watching The Americans. Funny that you talked about The Americans, Wayne. This weekend I was two times a guest on a podcast... Really incredible how they organized it. Two podcasts, same day, same time. But okay, one of them was willing to shift a little bit. And that was for his Dark Materials, the Alitheometer podcast. And actually, Sarah and Chip, which I like as podcasters, did The Americans. So you can probably find a nice podcast there. I didn't listen to that, but I like them in the Alitheometer. Back to last week's podcast. I discovered that one of the women Jenna was looking at in the bowling alley, the women that were kissing, that that was Megan Town's sister. And I asked you to go back to episode 3 
to have a look how Henry and Jenna came into the house there. For the very first time they were visiting towns and then it proved that Megan did know Jenna. And actually I wanted to ask your opinion, especially Wayne, because Dave perhaps knows more and that could also be the reason why you didn't really answer my question in the sense of what did you think of the interaction between Megan and Jenna when they entered the house there in episode 3? I think they knew each other. I think they had something together. Also based on the fact that Megan knew Jenna's middle name, Faith. And I have the idea she is a little bit embarrassed about that middle name. So it's peculiar that Megan did know this middle name. So she wouldn't give that to just anybody. So I think she already had some lesbian experience there. I just wondered if you also saw that now knowing that Megan is one of the women that were kissing in the bowling alley. There was one piece of feedback in the previous podcast where Wayne was talking about the icky teenage sex scenes. Okay, so the second thing I have problems with here are the icky teenage sex scenes. I, I, I guess, I don't know. Like, they're teenagers. We, we, don't, we don't want to see that. <laughs> what, Wayne? It sounded a bit like a teenager or a 20-year that knows that his parents of 50-plus still have sex. And they go, yucky, not imaginable that these old people still have sex. And in your case, it's the other way around. I think I know what I would prefer. And of course, I'm not talking about 12 or 13-year-old kids. In that case, I would agree with you. But 16-plus, whatever. Okay, about this episode, episode 7. I really have difficulties where to start. There are so many issues and topics to discuss in this episode, I think. Things that are strange or, well, not the best writing perhaps. And on the other side, where the story is going, with many questions. Just starting with listing some questions. Thomas is in debt with Bill Boone because he paid for the treatment of his in the meanwhile deceased wife. Why did Bill do that? What is the position of Thomas that he wants to have power over him? Next one. Why the heck did Lucas kept this Bible? I assume it's his room where the Mennonites find this Bible and then Anna sees it from the closet. Why did he keep it? Because he is becoming religious, was religious, is becoming it because he feels guilty. And attached to that question, Lucas is praying at the start of the very strange dinner. And Cleo picks that up as, shouldn't we do it all? Uh, perhaps this is something American, but with these teenagers that perhaps are not so religious anymore. I don't know if that is a good thing. To do, well, good, okay, but it felt a little strange. Why are the Mennonites leaving the Bible in Lucas' room? First point is, of course, it's proof, but okay, they are in the business of producing drugs, so going to the police is not the best step, perhaps, although they have, or Bill has, the sheriff in his pocket, so that shouldn't be the biggest problem. Or they could use it as leverage to pressure Bill. 
Or are they smart and are they going to use it to prove to Bill what Lucas did? So saying, hey Bill, go to the cupboard of your son and find my dead son's Bible there in his drawer. On the other hand, I don't know if Bill knows that Lucas killed Amos. Probably yes. Next mysterious thing, of course, is, and we saw it before, Henry's seizures. Has this something to do with her telekinesis ability? We didn't see it in any other shifters. Or is this a separate thing? Probably not. Or is this why Nikolai uses that drug? To suppress seizures. There were several moments in this episode that I thought she is going to do do a teleportation. Especially when Lucas addressed her in her own room. This clay really is in a lot of denial. Because first he gets his nightmare where he is crushed in his wheelchair and his ceiling cracks. And then later Lucas takes him to the garage where he shows him both cars, also his car, and he is not believing it. Well, at least on the outside. A little strange because he just had that dream and where is that dream coming from? You could argue that he is just dreaming that because Henry accused him and told him what she did. So two options, he is in a big denial or he is just not the brightest star. Jenna is telling Henry that she had sex with Zack and well Henry is open to it and asks the right questions. I really wonder if Jenna is going to say anything about her interest in women instead of men. And will the story with Megan play into this somehow? As I told in the beginning of this feedback. Strange is also the complete absence of Josh in this episode. Is he still around or is he gone? No idea. We see here Nikolai coming into town and I think that storyline is progressing too slow. Now we have a next boon mail where we go up and down in our feelings about good guy, bad guy or in between. We had that with Bill, we had that with Clay, and now we have it with Lucas, that he doesn't look as bad as initially. And actually this connects to something Wayne said in the last podcast. And, and again, we're not feeling sorry for Clay but too are much. We be- not? Well, but I don't know. But, a little bit though, you know? But, but let's, you know, let's get started with it. All right, let's get started with Clay, because okay. I have... Multiple problems with this episode, almost okay. from the minute it starts to the minute it ends. Okay, but let's go. start with this. And, and you, you nail it on the head. The kid is paralyzed, and that sucks, and that that is terrible. But he's paralyzed because he tried to rape a girl, or he he did. He he sexually assaulted a girl, and as a direct consequence of those actions, he's in the wheelchair now. So, do we really feel sorry for him? You can't help but, though. As you said, we see him struggling just to get... But but then the next minute, like you said, he's taking the selfies, so he's back to being kind of the cocky a-hole he was, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's really inconsistent. I don't mind ambiguity. In fact, I love ambiguity. But I think here it's just completely inconsistent. Like, you know, they're they're toying with the us as the, the, um, the audience. By one minute, he's an asshole. 
this the next minute, which clearly of uh, just a couple episodes when he was in the hospital and that the cheerleader girl came in, total asshole there. But now we kind of feel sorry for him, but then we don't so much, but then we do again, and then it's back and forth, right? Uh, it's just, I, I just found it, I don't know, it's just like, just inconsistent, and um, I just I just didn't like how that played out. I actually disagree on that, Wayne. I think Clay, of all boons, is the biggest a-hole, and he just is. And it's not that our feelings are being played up and down by the makers. Perhaps just a little bit, because they could not show his struggle with his urine bag. It's just a given thing that if humans see other humans struggle, they feel pity. Well, most humans do. Being an a-hole doesn't change by our pity. Because we have pity, he just is not suddenly not a a-hole. It doesn't change the character. It's just inside us. Okay, greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right, well, as usual, we, we talked about a lot of what Fred brings up, but but he brings up that scene again that he mentioned last week about Megan and Jenna. What we can really read in terms of subtext about their relationship, their past, because he wonders whether the two of them have any kind of a history you know, do they have a lesbian history? And, you know, I, I'm going to leave it mostly up to you because as Fred points out in his feedback, I, I know things that are going to happen. But I, I think at this point, what we see out of Jenna, and, and, you know, you and I talked about it a few minutes ago, she's not really there yet. You know, she right. still is unsure whether it is that she likes girls exclusively, is it that she doesn't like boys? Is it that she doesn't really like Zach? So she's still trying to find herself. So um, I, I guess I don't really see out of this scene that they have any kind of a, you know, any kind of a sexual history. Now, whether they find each other attractive or not, you know, I mean, the fact that, that, Megan knows Jenna's middle name. I, I don't know. You know, I think that might even just be a, a, a thing from when the kids were little and kids tease each other about their middle name, because I think a lot of us have middle names right. that, you know, we go through periods where we aren't real fond of our middle name, and, yeah. you know, that maybe right. it was something like that. Well, and I think especially that the, the shot in the bowling alley is so fast that, only Fred would, you know, be the person who was able to go back and and figure out that it was actually Megan. You would never get that just casually watching it. So I don't think it's, I think it's something that will come up later. But I don't think it's anything that's that big. With I certainly don't think there's any kind of a relationship in that way between um, between Jenna and Megan. But I, I, I like I said, like like you just said, um, that Jenna is trying to figure it out and it's it's a very tough thing to figure out especially if you start to suspect that you like and and how you roll is not necessarily what you know everyone society tells you is the way you should be rolling sure you know and you have sex with a boy for the first time you're like well that wasn't really that great and i i didn't really like it so you know, it's just kind of like, 
a very tough thing to figure out. And it takes young people, it can take them ages. I think probably, you know, nowadays, obviously, I think things are are better. I don't think it's easy nowadays, but I think it's easier because certainly when I grew up and I was a teenager, and I, and I know when you grew up, you know, it was like forbidden. And if you were homosexual at all, you would just, you, you know, you'd be set up for being an outcast or bullied or beaten up. Um, I'm sure, I know, obviously, those things, I don't think they, that they don't happen nowadays. But it's just, it was worse in the past. Sure. I mean, I think people in general are more understanding and accepting now than, say, when yeah. we were teenagers. Uh, yeah, of sure. course. Now, the other thing he, he brings up are Henry's seizures. And, it, and again, I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past and whether or not the seizures are related to her teleportation. And I, I think all of this, you know, the, the indications are that they are related and that's not me saying yes, for sure. But you know, again, I think we can, we can see that as a distinct possibility and I'll just tell you, you will get an answer one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, my, I think we've talked about this before, and you know, my gut feeling is that they absolutely are connected. Right, and I'll just say, the, the way they are connected, you'll get some clarity about. And, and uh, yeah, if, sorry if that's a spoiler. Oh, well. Anyway. Eh. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the last thing that he brings up that I want to mention and again, we, we talked about this a little bit, but but the character development of people like Lucas and that they have this side where now they seem to be searching for some sort of spirituality, some sort of a you know a, a, a deeper meaning to why I'm here. And yet, on the other hand, I murdered this kid in cold blood. And whether one is the result of the other, uh, who, who knows? I mean, we do have to question how it is that his mother went from Bill Boone to a preacher. He, you know, now now he, like Jenna, seems to be searching for something that was foreign to him. But I, I do like that because I guess even though he did kill Amos Miller, I, I just don't see him as sociopathic at this point i just think he's somebody that made a just a terrible decision absolutely and you know i just i i I kind of find it a little funny that you know we're so condemning of clay for what he did but we're kind of giving lucas a pass on murdering someone just because he feels really bad about it right you know yeah and, and i think when we look at clay if he really remembered what he did, would he feel bad? Yeah. That's the question. Because I think at this point, we don't, we don't know, right? We see him remembering, but clearly he's not remembering the truth. His memories are not accurate. So Correct. can we blame him because his memories aren't accurate after he was involved in a traumatic accident which naturally did negatively impact his ability to remember so i guess that's why we give him a pass but yeah that's 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 certainly interesting the way that that plays out with those two 
Bill, on the other hand, you know, may may be a borderline sociopath, but he uh, could be. He hides it very well. So, all right. Anything yes, else does. you want to mention about Fred? No, nope, I'm good. Okay. okay. All right, Fred. Thank you. Good stuff as always. Uh, so, what are, what are you thinking about this episode after last week's debacle? Well, I thought this was a big bounce back. Much better, much better written. The way is organized. I love how they had the questions we're asking in the first half that get answered later on because it's just things we're just like, like what? And then you know, then we find out later, and then it all makes sense. So much better. Restored my faith in impulse. I was, you know, I I apologize to everyone for last week because I know I was very very negative, but I just. I don't know. It was just something about that episode just really, just really ground my gears. But I was very happy this week to uh, find an episode that was the complete opposite, much better written. I'm not ready to give it an A, I don't think, per se, but I would give it a solid B+. Okay. And that's what I'm thinking as well, B+. Given that we had given just about every other episode an A-, minus. Right. Uh, this, this one wasn't quite there, but B plus, it, it certainly is furthering the plot line. I mean, certainly the little scenes with Nikolai, though they don't take up much screen time, they're pretty darn meaningful. And, and, and yep. we know they are precursors to something that's likely to really impact Henry's life. So, all right, cool. B plus it is. All right. All right, well, let's go ahead and leave it there, and that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Impulse. Uh, dark, I always bring Dark up. Anything else going on in genre TV, encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. If you want to shoot us an email, the address is sci-fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail on the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week to discuss Impulse Season 1, Episode 8, titled Awakening. But until then. So, you know, this past, you know, for this week, you know, like, wife and I tried something else, bought a copy of the Kama Sutra, you know. And, yeah, I don't know if it's like once you get to be a certain age, if you should be doing things like that. Just one point I just said to her, do you understand the position you just put me in? <laughs>